I'm Joe Getcho. And I'm Mike White. And this is We Like Comics Because They Have No Bones. And uh, just a quick reminder, check us out at anchor.fm slash boneless comics podcast, Instagram at boneless comics podcast, and Twitter at boneless comics one for all the links and places that you can find us. Uh, we are on Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, and Apple Podcasts. The Apple Podcasts uh, episodes tend to go up just a little bit later. Uh, because they do have a little bit longer authentication process, but you should be able to listen to us pretty much anywhere now. So anywhere you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. We're just like Visa. Exactly. So uh, with, with all the, you know, that kind of legal gobbledygook out of the way, again, we are going to try and add the feature of answering some questions from listeners at the end of the podcast. So anybody, if you're interested, uh, especially, listener nate who i'm gonna give a shout out here uh, i know you've had some questions go ahead and post those up on twitter and we can be sure to answer them in our next episode also uh, because nate has been such a regular listener and actually somebody that's offered a lot of constructive criticism you can check out a comics blog that he has at nerdy nate's notes nate is spelled in eight so Go ahead and check that out if you're interested in seeing his take on some various books within comicdom. I have a question. Yes, question away. Should I post it on Twitter? My question? Uh, well, I mean, I suppose you could just ask me. I don't, oh, okay, I, don't know. I guess that would work. Uh, <laughs> what are we reviewing this episode? Uh, yeah, so this episode, we are covering Mr. Miracle, which if everybody will recall, we originally did a recording for. We weren't happy with how it came out, and so we've recalibrated our process, and so this is going to be the new recording for Mr. Miracle. If you have not listened to our previous episode on the New Gods, I would recommend you go back and check out episode 3.1. That's going to give you all the backstory that you need to know going into this. And because we have already covered the characters and the lore and the backstory, there is not going to be a non-spoiler section this time. So we're going to be digging right into the story. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to the original uh, New Gods that we covered, don't, because this one will be a lot better. We, we just tried to condense so much into a short amount of time that it really just didn't work for us. So we're kind of taking our time this time and splitting it up more so that way we can really delve into everything that we want to talk about with these 12 issues. There's just a lot to cover, and it just didn't seem like we were doing it justice by trying to cover it all at once. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th that's pretty much why we're doing an episode 3.1, and this would be episode 3.2. So that's our thought process on that. Do we want to talk about the creators or do we want to skip over that? Because we have so much material to cover, I'm really okay with either. If there's a couple anecdotes you want to cover about the creators, I think there's a few okay. things that kind of set the stage for um, yeah. these 12 issues because it, it's the same writer, it's the same penciler, which is really nice when you're reading a story arc to not have to switch back and forth between differences or you know drastically different art styles. But the art style in this is very like nine panel grids almost exclusively. So there's, right. it's, it's doing that on purpose to make you feel like you're trapped. Like there's prison bars around the reader and the character and make you feel kind of claustrophobic in it. So it's really, 
making you feel trapped when you're looking at the art. So if you feel uneasy reading this at all, that's on purpose. <laughs> it's very much the intention. So uh, I guess we haven't named the creators. Tom King is the writer um, of all 12 issues and Mitch Gerard's is the penciler. A little bit of background about King, especially because it's really just relevant to this story. He interned at both Marvel and DC Comics, but shortly after that time, he joined the CIA counterterrorism unit after 9-11 happened. So he then served seven years in the military doing basically spy work. And uh, after the birth of his first child, he quit, came back to the United States and became a writer. He was hired by DC to write Grayson, which was kind of a spinoff of the Nightwing title where Dick Grayson was more of a super spy. And so it, the idea was Tom King's career background would help him to write that kind of espionage thriller. But what he really became known for was a series called Sheriff of Babylon, which is kind of a whodunit murder mystery taking place in Iraq. And that also kind of deals with some similar themes to things that he experienced in real life. The other stuff uh, that I would either recommend that you read or that are, is kind of well known by him, he did have a run on Vision at Marvel that's very, very highly regarded. I have not read it, unfortunately, so I can't speak about it. The Omega Men is a maxi series that he did before this at DC. And that is kind of dealing with the horrors of war. And, and those are kind of where the themes are. So, But he met Mitch Gerards on Sheriff of Babylon. And so they're very frequent collaborators. And they've worked together on a couple of other series, you know, notably Mr. Miracle, but also Mitch Gerards did some fill-in issues for Heroes in Crisis, which is probably arguably the most controversial thing that King wrote. So... Also, King and Gerard's both are two-time Eisner winners. It's a little bit unfair in the way that this plays out because he won for Mr. Miracle twice, two years in a row, because the, the book ran 12 issues, so it wrapped around you know both years. So he won an Eisner for Best Writer in 2018 and 2019, and Gerard's won the, the Artist Award both times as well. Tom so. King also wrote something called A Once Crowded Sky, which I guess is an illustrated novel. I don't believe it's affiliated with uh, Marvel or DC either, but it really goes into his uh, CIA background and kind of has this endless cycle of victory without finality, both in comic books and real life warfare. So that's kind of, I think, a, a theme that he tends to normally go for. And it's really present here in this run of Mr. Miracle. Yeah, that's that that idea of the unwinnable war and and kind of the just the endlessness and the futility of war is definitely going to be a theme that we're covering today in this story. He also kind of yeah. goes into like, you know, one world of with uh, superheroes and their secret identities. But this one's a little bit different. There's this more like there's not necessarily separate identity. It's just you have one world with your family trying to keep them together. And then the professional world where you're trying to build into, you know, personally who you're wanting to be. Um, so there's an interview where he kind of explains this and says, and sometimes those two worlds clash. So that's another theme present mm. in Mr. Miracle as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. There's, um, 
that's actually a really good segue into talking about Mitch Gerard's art, because I think a lot of what he does with the panels in the story is there will be a page of just constant nonstop action or violence. And then there's a page of like quiet domestic scenes at home. And there's that juxtaposition of like the fantastic superhero stuff with the we're just taking out the trash today or, you know, changing the baby's diaper or something like that. And so so that that sort of clashing of those two worlds is is something that is really visually present in the story uh, with Gerard's art. I, I did want to note while we're talking about Mitch really quickly that he does not have a Wikipedia page, which made it really hard to research him. I do know that he's worked for DC Marvel Image and Boom Studios, but other than that and his Eisner winnings, that was really the the stuff about all the stuff I could find out about him, besides the fact that he is a massive, massive Taylor Swift fan. Um, so Okay, but there's no Taylor <laughs> Swift in uh, Mr. No, Miracle. Taylor Swift is not. Oddly enough, celebrities do appear in this story briefly, but Taylor Swift is not one of them. So... <laughs> So uh, we're going to go ahead, like I said, just really briefly talked about the creators. So uh, Mr. Miracle, it was published from 2018 to 2019. This story involves an attempted suicide. It involves uh, PTSD, and it deals heavily with mental health issues. Um, so if those are things that are going to be a trigger for you, if that's going to be something that you're like, you know what, I, I don't really want to sign up for that one. Uh, you know, maybe skip this episode. We are going to get into it. I will say that I believe personally that it is a story of hope and overcoming those issues, but it's a pretty rough journey to get there. This is also a psychological thriller more than it is a superhero story. Uh, so if that's not to your particular taste, this might be, you know, a little bit outside of what you would expect from a comic book. But one of the reasons I wanted to pick it was actually for that reason, because it moves outside of what you would normally think of as a superhero genre story. Um, and it's really a character piece ab about Scott Free and, and maybe to a smaller degree, Big Barda. So just to give a quick rundown of what the whole story involves, Scott Free attempts suicide, and after he recovers physically, he and Barda are immediately pulled back into the war against Apocalypse. This story explores their struggles against PTS, his PTSD while juggling their domestic life from mundane things like owning a condo and raising a baby to the fantastic things like Scott's life as a public figure uh, escape artist. And there are, I think, really three ways to interpret the story as far as what happens, but we can maybe save that for the end. I, I was trying to think about other things in media that are similar to this. And the best, the best example I could come up with is there's a Star Trek Deep Space Nine episode called The Wire that is basically just a one-off character piece about Garrick. And he has an implant in his brain and it's damaging his mental health. And you kind of see the breakdown of his character through that episode. And I, I think that's the closest thing in media that I've viewed that is kind of similar to the journey of this story. I think so. the biggest difference being the protagonist, if you will, in that story is a 
chronic liar. Yeah, so not a good person. A lot, well, a lot of the kind of reality altering things are more coming out of his mouth rather than, you know, visual and questioning what's real or not. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess let's go ahead and get into issue one. So it it starts with a uh, very shocking two-page spread of Scott Free, Mr. Miracle. He's laying there in his bathroom and he has slit his wrists. And so he's bleeding out all over the bathroom floor. Uh, it's shocking. It's It grabs your attention right away. And it kind of sets you up for the tone that this story is going to have you know, right off the bat. So I, I wanted to mention a few things that have their first appearances in this issue because they're going to be called back at the very end of the story. This is something that King likes to do a lot is he'll set up things early and then you really won't see the payoff until you get to the very, very, very end. So this is this is the first appearance of Barda in the story. We're, we're seeing actually how his mental health struggles are affecting her. Uh, which is something that you actually don't see a lot in media is how the loved one is impacted by, you know, the traumatic event that the the person is going through. So also we, we see Orion for the first time and Scott's brutal perception of him, at least. Uh, Orion keeps beating Scott down to the floor. There's not a lot of understanding there. And uh, this is also the first appearance of the phrase dark side is. And Joe, I'm going to let you run with that. So I had to do some research to really get the full explanation of why dark side is is important and why it comes up. Because within the story, I mean, obviously, dark side is in it. So dark side mm -hmm. is in the story. I did some research and found out that dark side is entered King's mind during a conversation in which uh, cartoonist Julian Lytle, I'm assuming I'm saying that correct, kept saying Dark Side is. It comes from Grant Morrison's JLA number 13 in 1998 in the final splash page on which Dark Side enters the story. So there's this narration where they say the hour has come, he has come, who is beyond good and evil, who is the prophet of anti-life, who is the rock and the chain and the lightning, all powerful, all unforgiving, all conquering, who is your new God now and forever. And then Dark Side appears and he says, Dark Side is. Ah, yeah. He, it's sort of him announcing his presence of here he is. What's interesting is that not knowing that, and, and funnily enough, I have read that JLA issue. When you, when you called it back, I, I remembered, oh, yes, that was you know, something that I read years and years and years ago. My perception of it, especially within this story, is more the statement of evil exists. And you will see constantly throughout the story there will just be a panel that's completely black and that white text dark side is is in there and you get kind of a growing sense of anxiety about it just my thoughts on it were very much that within this story it's just the statement of evil exists evil is real and how do you reconcile that with your daily life how do you get through your daily life knowing that so that that was how i took it Knowing where King plucked it out is really interesting, though. He also, in an interview, said that every it seems like every day I read the paper, you're reading about nuclear war, Russians taking over the country, Nazis. It's like every once in a while, the world blinks for a second and it goes, dark side is. So that's really kind of like you're saying, 
which was Tom King's intention is the world has changed and it's changed in a dark side is way. So whenever you mm. kind of like the, the world blinks, something happens, something unspeakable, just out of nowhere, just seems to kind of happen. It's like dark side is it's like a black panel. And it just says in white letters, dark side is like evil is out there. Something has happened. Right. So yeah, with, with that said, we're really setting the stage for Mr. Miracle. Scott free is not in a good place emotionally. He, another character that shows up early on is high father who is his biological father and high father comes down and basically says something to the effect of, Hey, heard about your suicide attempt. Sorry. I didn't come to pay my respects and come for you, but you know, the war with apocalypse and Scott's like, yeah, I understand. So there, there is a very cold response that he gets both from his stepbrother, Orion, and from his father, High Father, after, after that attempt. Barda is really the only person that seems to be supporting him. And you kind of get the impression that she doesn't necessarily understand, but she's willing to stand by him and, you know, help him through this time. There's a lot of these kind of scenes and themes and things that happen that Tom King has taken from either media, TV, or his own experiences in life, or, you know, just something else that he's seen or read, or especially from the Jack Kirby era, those are a lot of little things that get snuck in here, like a poster of Kirby's original Mr. Miracle one, number one cover hangs <laughs> uh, over Scott's sofa. So there's various things like that. The scene where Barda is kind of saying enough, you know, to Orion, who's teaching Scott. Um, there's a similar scene in another one of Tom, Tom King's works um, where something like that happens, where somebody has to step in and say, you know, stop. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a lot of just, I think you could pick this all day and little things that Tom King has brought into this from other things that he's seen or read. Um, but a lot of it is really I think to kind of help with that perception of reality of, well, this seems familiar to something else that we've seen. So maybe that's what Scott is seeing is he's not actually seeing some of these events. Maybe he's kind of, his brain is reinterpreting it from some soap opera he saw on TV and reenacting it in the solution hallucination that he's had. Cause this whole thing could be, you know, in his mind yeah we don't know yeah and and one of the one of the really early indicators that scott is an unreliable narrator to his own story is that uh he has a dream right after his suicide attempt where he's uh talking to oberon or a dream or a vision uh you know whichever you prefer but um barda comes in and reminds him he's like you know i was just talking with oberon and she goes no he's been dead for a couple of years, remember that, you know, he smoked too many cigars and, and that was, that was the end of him. So that's the first indicator really in the story that something is not quite right. Another indicator after that is uh, Barda's eyes originally from the Kirby era, they're blue, but they're brown in uh, starting in the first issue. And then they kind of go back and forth and sometimes even panels right next to each other, they're different colors. Uh, in subsequent issues. So there's a lot of 
things that just seem out of place. And this is another kind of Tom mm -hmm. King experience where he had uh, a panic attack and went to the ER. He felt like he was dying. When he came back from the ER, he saw the world differently. Things kind of just looked a little bit different. He kind of questioned certain things that maybe he didn't before. And so this is kind of where Scott is at as he's had this experience um, that we saw on that two page spread at the beginning with uh, the suicide attempt. And he's looking at things differently. So that's kind of another interpretation is maybe this is real, but maybe Barda's eyes are fine. It's just that he's seeing them in a different light than he normally right. does. Yeah. So um, I did want to talk really briefly about he, he has a conversation with Oberon that's very interesting and it, it isn't paid off until the very end of the story. I, I think as we talked about in the New Gods episode, Oberon visually looks like Jack Kirby, the creator of the New Gods. And so Oberon tells him a joke that's about a child who draws a picture of God. The teacher says you can draw anything you want. The, most of the kids in the class draw dinosaurs or you know superheroes or something. And this kid says, I drew God. And the teacher says, well, that's funny because nobody knows what he looks like. And then the kid says, well, until now. And so that's a, that's very a very, it's a very presumptuous thing to say, but knowing what I know about Jack Kirby, I know that a lot of his processing of World War II and kind of wartime American politics came out in his New Gods writing. And so that was very much an escape for him. So, so this theme of escape is going to be really important because Scott is an escape artist. You know, Jack Kirby escaped into this world of the new gods. And, and then, you know, this kid basically, you know, I'll spoil it for the end, but he symbolizes Jack Kirby uh, within that, that framework. So, well, and he also symbolizes Mr. Miracle because yeah, absolutely. there's a page where they actually show us this before Oberon talks about it. And the child has, Oh, um, right. Of course, it's very distorted, but you can see he's kind of his shirt might be kind of a reddish color, but then he's got those two yellow circles on his shirt like Mr. Miracle does. So I don't know if that's some kind of superimposing or if that really yeah. is something, you know, Scott would have said when he was younger. But I think it's all mm -hmm. part of that, you know, kind of dream reality, reality bending state that we're in when we're reading these issues. Well, the, the concept of where we fall in the universe and what our importance is, is something that's relevant to this story too, because Scott is asking those kind of questions. I mean, he was raised to believe that dark side is God on apocalypse. And then he finds out, well, high father is, is the good one. You know, he's the one that uh, oversees new Genesis and that place is a paradise and everything is wonderful. And so he is God to the new Genesis people as their leader, but there's something wrong with both of them. Because Darkseid is pure evil, and his biological father gave him up at birth to basically be tortured for his entire childhood. So there's those issues are just kind of bubbling to the surface here in this first issue, and you start to get a sense of what's, you know, what's kind of been eating at Scott and why he would take this drastic measure. So, well, and I think part of it too is like just finding his own identity because his name Scott Free is not a real name it was something that was given to him out of spite 
And then Mr. Miracle is a stage name that he took from somebody who mentored him and trained him. He's the son of High Father, but not really because he didn't grow up with him on New Genesis. He's the son of Dark Side, but not really because he's evil and he was pretty much raised by Granny. So it's like, you know, he's got to find his own truth and his own identity in this mm-hmm. mess that is his life. Yeah. And the the understanding and usually the status quo for Mr. Miracle and Big Barda is that they live on Earth. Uh, you know, Mr. Miracle works as an escape artist. He does these daring stunts. Occasionally he'll do superheroics, but that's kind of how they fund their lifestyle. And they live a celebrity lifestyle in many regards, like people would recognize him on the street. And so because of this, we also have a public TV appearance where he has to now explain his suicide attempt on TV. And so the explanation that he comes up with is, well, I'm an escape artist and I kind of got bored with everything and I'd done it all. So I thought, what's the one thing that nobody escapes from? Death. No one escapes from death. Until now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the implication was, oh, this was a, you know, a publicity stunt. But Glorious Godfrey is the TV announcer that interviews him. And we didn't talk about him before, but he is the evil PR guy for apocalypse on earth. Um, As funny as it is that that's a thing uh, he is. So he's the propaganda machine for apocalypse. And he answers with, did you actually really escape? And so that starts to introduce that seed of uneasiness into it of what are we reading here? Is it what's happening in Scott's mind right before he died? Is it actually happening? You know, we're, we're not really sure. So there's some questions in here, too, about the suicide attempt. Um, Funky Flashman later is like providing an introduction to uh, Mr. Miracle and his acts on the stage. And Scott reminds him he's not performing. He's actually escaping death. So that's another, you know, thanks, PR guy. You know, I'm actually (laughs) doing this for real. This isn't this isn't a PR stunt. Um, And there's some questions, too, of with the anti-life equation, you know, what role does that really have in this story? Is it, you know, kind of, is it out there? Is it influencing events behind the scenes? Is it still undiscovered? Um, There's kind of some question on if that actually, you know, did the anti-life equation cause the suicide attempt? Orion doesn't really seem to care when Scott brings that up, but at the same time, you know, when um, Orion is kind of grilling Scott later about, what happened and what his role in it in it was um he asks you know hate made you kill yourself and scott says yes that's true right yeah so whether or not scott has been infected with the anti-life equation um which again the loss of all free will the the sort of giving over of yourself to the evil you know the evil side of your your mind um whether or not that's true scott on some level did hate his life. And that's why he made that attempt. And so, so there are some true moments in there. I really like to look at this story overall as just a really good character study of Scott Free. And I'm, I have my own thoughts about whether or not it's real, but I also don't know that that's super relevant as long as you just go into it knowing this is really gonna help you understand his psychology, where he's coming from, you know, why, why he's leading the life he's leading and ultimately what he needs to find to be whole again. 
Well, and you kind of see what's important to him in the story yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wanted to call out just a couple of like narrative things that happen uh, just because they're really relevant. So there are a lot of major characters that are killed in this story, which is one reason why, especially within comics canon, it almost can't be part of canon. Highfather is killed by Darkseid. Orion is killed by Darkseid. Granny Goodness is killed by Barda. And, and that's at a moment where Granny is attempting to get back into Scott's mind and really sort of plant the seeds that, no, I'm the woman that raised you. I'm a good person. You know, you should, you know, I've always looked after you, Scott. And, you know, it's at that moment when, when Barda steps in and just bludgeons her to death. So, so these are a lot of really major comic book characters that you would not normally see that many main character deaths in a comic book story, because as we know with serialized stories, it always has to go on. You know, it's, it's always got to have that continuance. And there are some characters too, that don't die in this, but their presence is extremely lacking in it. Um, not that they would necessarily interfere in, you know, Scott's personal life, but when there's things going on or there's a war, they usually get involved. So the justice league, um, they are absent from this as far as their actual persons go, but they exist as merchandise. Uh, Scott is seen wearing <laughs> t-shirts from, you know, not every member of the justice league, cause there's way too many, but at least the main ones. Um, and he doesn't really get in touch with any of them. He doesn't, you know, talk to any of them. He doesn't ask any questions or, Hey, I need some help. Or do I have a mentor in the justice league? They're pretty much just, an afterthought, like they're not addressed whatsoever, except from the many, many, many t-shirts that he wears. Yeah. I, I will say that funky flashman talks about Batman a little bit, uh, cause they get a Batman toy for Scott's son. Oh, that's right. Batman's not good for kids. <laughs> but other than that, yeah, there's very little mention of the justice league beyond just all these, every, uh, issue Scott at home is wearing a different justice league t-shirt, which actually injects a little bit of humor into the story and kind of plants it in that DC world. I actually really appreciate it. Just seeing the, the different characters represented. I like the idea that Scott is on earth and he's a celebrity and he's part of that community, but he's also kind of a, like a fanboy of it. You know, that's, that's kind of fun. Yeah. I want all those shirts that he has. I know he's got a lot of really great shirts. So another thing that I wanted to touch on a little bit is the relationship between Scott and Barda is fairly unique in comic books. And I mean, it's, it's crazy to say this, but there are not that many characters in comic books that get married and stay married and have a stable relationship. So that alone is really kind of unusual within the comic books world. The only other real standout examples I can think of are Reed and Sue Richards of the Fantastic Four at Marvel. Spider-Man was married for a very long time to Mary Jane, but uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago now, they've they've like retconned that relationship out of existence. And uh, uh, maybe the less said about that, the better. But basically, the editor of Marvel at the time got a divorce, and so he decided Spider-Man couldn't be happy either. <laughs> so So he took it out on the character. I one one thing I wanted to note is that while Scott is 
Scott and Barda had the same or similar upbringing. Barda was born on Apocalypse. Scott was raised there from like a year old. But the way that they processed that trauma was different. Barda became very hardened and very strong and very like, I'm untouchable. Nothing can break me now and became this sort of magnificent, you know, warrior that only really shows her sensitive side to Scott. And Scott became kind of afraid of everything and, you know, was, was kind of more insular. And you get the sense that that's what led to this suicide attempt was just not being able to handle the weight of the, the mental conditioning and the torture that he went through. So it, it is really nice that they show a lot of intimacy between the couple. They show that they have a loving relationship, that they kind of balance each other out well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, that's something that I really enjoyed seeing in the book. I, I did also want to mention it's, their relationship feels very real to me. And I guess it's because I'm in the most committed long-term relationship I've ever been in right now. And, and the way that my girlfriend and I relate to each other in a way reminds me of Scott and Barda. She experienced a lot of trauma early in life, has become very kind of hardened you know her emotions are not as close to the surface as maybe mine are and i kind of went the direction of scott where you know i'm just afraid of my own shadow and you know just so nobody worries about us we're both in therapy you know everything's fine <laughs> um you know but the, these are things that that you know we have to deal with as as part of a relationship and as part of you know just getting well as people and so There are a few moments in the story when Scott rises above his anxiety and he will make a decisive choice. There's one point where he decides to fight against Orion when Orion's going to execute him. There's another point where Darkseid puts Scott in the horrible position of saying, I'll call off the war if you give me your infant child. And again, Barda seems empowered and almost like she's more in love with Scott whenever she sees him kind of being able to break through that that mental illness and that that strife that he's gone through so that's that's something that i've observed in my relationship as well is just that you know my girlfriend is really cheering me on whenever i have those moments and i'm able to you know break through and and kind of overcome that experience so yeah it's just it it's nice to see it feels very very personal to me watching their their relationship play out so um, going back to Scott and Barda's infant son. So there, there is a scene in issue seven where Barda gives birth to baby Jack the King, which of course is another Kirby <laughs> homage. Um, Tom King is engaging in wish fulfillment of a happy relationship between Stan and Jack. So Stan Lee, mm. of course, and Jack Kirby. There's also uh, a story later on that Funky tells about Star Eater and Dog, which is basically Galactus <laughs> and Silver Surfer. And they even look like that in the uh, issue pages. So Tom King sees that Fantastic Four story as a metaphor for Stan and Jack. Uh, and then Funky says, he provides all the imaginations. I do the words. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's pretty much exactly how Stanley and Jack Kirby work together. Jack would draw all the pages and leave all the dialogue bubbles empty 
Um, and th this was usually after Stan would give him a rough outline. Like in this issue, Spider-Man fights the lizard and he has some personal struggle with Gwen Stacy or something. And then, and then, you know, Jack will go, okay. And he draws the entire story with no script. And then Stan will go in and fill in all the word bubbles. And that was for years, how they managed to publish just, I mean, like 12, 15, I, I don't even know how many books simultaneously with them being the principal two people working on them. So it's, it's really incredible that they were able to do that at all. And, and they did have a, you know, really a good synergy at, at a certain point in their career. It's really, it really is sad that that broke apart, you know? Yeah. I, I wanted the, to mention, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, but at the same time, you know, we did get some really good stories once they were apart from each other that I don't know if they would have been better if they were together or if they're better because they were able to strike out and kind of do their own thing. It, that's that's really an interesting question. I mean, I don't think there is an answer to that question, but for better or worse, Jack Kirby striking out on his own did end up creating the New Gods, Etrigan the Demon, and I think Commandy is the other, oh, and Omac is, would be the other um, characters at DC that Kirby created, but the New Gods Hardak? are the ones that really lasted. <laughs> Omac is not super dissimilar to heart oh, omac <laughs> is a, a an android too but yeah it's uh it would take too long to explain <laughs> i i wanted to talk about jacob free a little bit only because there's a line in there where uh Bardas says do you remember jacob's ladder it was the only way out of apocalypse and you know the idea is that leaving apocalypse would be them reaching heaven jacob's ladder within Judaism, which I did some research, actually does represent the journey to heaven. And so that that's symbolic uh, within Judaism. It's also symbolic within the story of them kind of ascending from the hell that they grew up on. And then the baby itself being named Jacob represents that in a way, this is heaven. This is finally something good that hasn't been tainted by the evil of granny goodness or apocalypse that's come into their lives. So that the baby really is a game changer and a turning point of the story where now finally Scott has something to focus on and Barta as well, that didn't come out of that, you know, the sickness and pain of apocalypse. Another reference to Jacob would also be uh, Jack Kirby's actual true name, which is Jacob Kurtzberg, which mm. is also the last name of Oberon Kurtzberg as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I, I mean, if you dig into it a little bit, it's very obvious where the, the intention was there was for King to insert Kirby himself into the, the narrative. So there's some, you know, little things that happen that are, are fun that kind of add some humor to the story and sort of take away from some of the either dark stuff or the philosophical questions. Like mm -hmm. um, when they're in the waiting room, Mad Harriet is there and she writes, Mad Harriet was here on the waiting room wall behind them. <laughs> so just, you know, some little things that happen here and there that just kind of well, and I lighten mean, the scene a little bit. <laughs> there's an entire issue where what Scott and Barda are actually doing is trashing guards on New Genesis so that they can get to Orion to stop him from executing Scott. But what they're talking about for the entire issue is how they're going to remodel their condo. <laughs> so it's, I mean, there, there is 
humor in there to balance out this stuff. And uh, I, I don't feel that the story is overwhelmingly dark to the point that it it just pulls you down when you read it. I, I feel like it it's just honest about the struggles that Scott's going through, you know, and and like that, when he gets drunk and then he calls a boom tube, which is basically Uber for drunk new gods, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, that is very funny. And the Justice League have their own credit card as well. Also, to see him getting <laughs> drunk with uh, Booster Gold and, and uh, Blue Beetle or uh, Ted Cord, the second Blue Beetle. Sorry, not the one that most people probably know. But uh, they're, if, if you guys don't know, they're kind of just like super best friends in the Justice League. And they're kind of the, the loser second string guys. And uh, so seeing them getting drunk on a Saturday night is pretty common. So it, it was kind of a fun moment to have Scott thrown in there with them and, and, you know, have that, have that little bit. So I, I wanted to talk about the end of the story, but not the absolute end, particularly the, there's a point where Metron appears right after Scott has seemingly murdered Darkseid uh, by stabbing him in the eye repeatedly and shouting obscenities at him over and over. <laughs> understandable. Um, yeah, it is It is understandable. And I mean, it's reading the story, honestly, to that point, when you see it happen, it's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, all the stuff that Darkseid's put Scott and everyone through, um, I mean, he's pure evil. You're, you're rooting for him to go down. So, but Metron breaks through the darkness of Apocalypse at this point, comes out of a boom tube, and I just wanted to read uh, a quote from what he says. So Metron says, you have slain the devil. You have seen fear, embraced fear, and mastered fear. You have seen love, embraced love, and been mastered by love. And so that kind of shines a ray of hope on Mr. Miracle's future. It's almost like Metron is saying, this is not the world that you belong in now. Like you've got a child you've defeated the devil, you know, you've, you've overcome your fear of him. You've, you know, allowed love into your life. There are all these things that you've done to move past those, those experiences. And so I, I really like Metron kind of exists outside of reality. And so it's interesting for him to be the one to pop in and be like, this isn't really your reality. This isn't where you need to be, you know? So I, I thought that was a really good, um, it, it's a jarring moment. Because it, it just kind of comes out of left field. But I thought it was a really good shift in the narrative towards the end. Well, and then he also shows Scott a vision of the DC universe, mm -hmm. which includes Big Barda, Orion, Lightwave, and Highfather that are also shown in his vision. So right. it's kind of another, you know, is he hiding in a death-induced fantasy without superheroes instead of actually escaping death to rejoin everybody else and the DC con continuity? Right. And that's um, the question. Yeah, I mean, that is the question. There, there are a few ways to interpret the ending. And uh, I, I do like that about it. My three reads on it from having gone through the story a couple times were that either Scott died and this whole story is his fever dream right before his death. Scott was infected with the anti-life equation. And so that destroyed his mind from the inside that's another way to read it or scott survived but he's struggling to reconcile reality 
and good things in the wake of all the torture he suffered from Granny. And that is the take on the story that I would subscribe to just based on the evidence in it. I, I think he did try to kill himself, but I think he survived. And all of this is just his mind trying to reconcile the way the world is now versus what he went through. I mean, so. you could say, yeah, he he died or he's maybe he's in a coma. He hasn't recovered yet. And so he's imagining all of this or maybe kind of like um, Tom King had sort of alluded to what the interview that I talked about at the beginning of the podcast was that, you know, he had this near death experience. And so he's come back and things kind of are a little out of whack just for him mentally, because everything looks a little bit different and he's noticing things maybe he hasn't noticed before, like Orion. Maybe he's really noticing how aggressive and adversarial that Orion is, but it's mm -hmm. sort of exaggerated is what we're seeing because, you know, it's Scott kind of noticing this like, wow, he really is quite a jerk, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, and Orion normally is a jerk in the comic books, but it is way uh, played up in this story. So yeah, so everything's sort of being a little more extreme, and then having mm -hmm. these little like art glitches throughout the issues, kind of just showing that some things are either out of whack or something's a little bit strange here, or Scott's having a moment where he's kind of just like you know sh blinking and shaking his head, like wait, what what's going on? You know, so right, uh, it's sort of adds to that mystique of, you know, what, what's really happening here. And I don't think that there really is an answer per se. Um, but I, I kind of like the idea of, you know, Scott kind of, kind of coming back to reality, but sort of framing it within his own self of, you know, things that he's seen in media and kind of making like noticing things kind of in extremes and so we're sort of seeing that through his lens of sort of rediscovering things that are going on in his life yeah yeah that's i think that's very well put the the final issue i wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about first of all the very first page has an audience observing mr miracle in some kind of escape act most everybody if not everybody in that audience is some kind of celebrity the, these are just the ones I recognize. Gerard Way, the My Chemical Romance frontman, uh, was writing Doom Patrol at DC at the time he was there. Dan DiDio and Jim Lee, the co-publishers of DC at the time, were in another panel. Adam Scott, who is an actor, I think mostly known for Parks and Recreation, he was in a panel. And then Mitch Gerards and Tom King are actually sitting there in the audience looking shocked at Mr. Miracle's exploits. So I thought that was kind of a fun little you know, Easter egg thing that they did towards the beginning of the last issue. Mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, talk especially about the last issue because what it comes down to is choice. And Scott has the choice to continue on as he, he has been, or he has the choice to realign his priorities and focus on the family and the wife and the good things and, and not continue to be mired in, in his past. Bug is a character that shows up at the very end, and he actually was killed earlier in the story, so this kind of adds more to the unreality of it all. But uh, Bug says that returning to Apocalypse will never do any good. And this is, this is kind of heading Scott in that direction of 
going and fighting this endless war is not what's going to give your life meaning or make you happy. And again, I mean, I know I reference Star Trek a lot, but it it reminds me of the the pilot of Deep Space Nine, where Cisco basically has to make the choice to start living in the present and not live in the grief of losing his wife all the time. And that's that's really where Scott is in this story is where he's got to learn to shift his focus away from the pain and the grief and shift it on to the good things that he has right now. So that's a really good parallel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it really, and, and it wasn't until my third reading that I picked up on that, but I thought, you know what, they're Scott free and Benjamin Cisco are, are very similar in that way. So it's not linear. They're both living. It's not in that moment. Yeah. It's, it's not. So Scott does have a final confrontation with a vision of High Father, who basically sits in judgment over him for being too weak to give up his own son to Darkseid. And uh, Scott punches High Father in the gut, and his dialogue, uh, which I will not utter here, uh, from his Darkseid fight is repeated there. So again it kind of has come full circle it's like both of the fathers that he's had have disappointed him but now he's a father and he's got to move on and you know learn how to how to do that differently so that's uh that's that's really that's almost all i had i i wanted to add that the very last page they repeat dark side is one more time barda says it to scott and he says yeah i know but we are too and I really took that as we're acknowledging that evil exists and that it's it's darkness and pain are a part of the world, but we also exist. There are also good things in the world, and the existence of evil doesn't mean that everything is bad, you know? Yeah, and it's kind of Scott sort of accepting his life now, how things are, mm-hmm. and and being able to see the good that's in there. Like, yeah, dark side is who cares, you know? Right. It's really about <laughs> us and our lives and the good things that are going on. Let's focus on those instead. So it could really be a good turning point for him to you know kind of continue on a more positive note. Sure. I I don't really know how this affects continuity. If it affects continuity the new gods characters don't show up a whole, whole lot outside of their own titles, unless there's some big DC event happening. So I know that Tom King used them just as like, they're in the background in a couple shots in his heroes in crisis story, but I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of Jacob free. So we, we don't know if he actually has a kid or not. So Joe, with everything that we've talked about now, do you have any like final thoughts or or what, how many bananas would you give this story? How many bananas are these peeled bananas or full bananas? Well, is a peeled banana, like a 0.5 on a scoring system? I don't know. We haven't discussed um, that. I would probably give it three full and a peeled, or maybe just give it four out of five to round up and make it easier to calculate. You know, for me, like I'm not really into the psychological thrillers, Um, I do like some of the sort of, you know, questions of reality in this and all the little anecdotes here and there. But for me, it's it's really too dark of a story. And it's Mm. really a lot of, you know, pain that he goes through that we see kind of more on the pages. I I like more things that are kind of uplifting, I guess, (laughs) uh, especially by the end. 
but at the yeah. same time i rated it high because it's written really well and it's you know it's another it's a, a fan piece of tom king really wanted to pay homage to what came before um not just with jack kirby and the new gods but you know other events in his life and other things that he's seen and he sort of wrapped it all together so i think you know the writing and the art is just so fantastic in this that even if you're this isn't the you know best kind of story that you would want to subject yourself to it's still a good read it's a really it's told really well yeah and and that's why i warned up front about it because i know that this is not going to be something that is accessible for everybody i think that it feels a little more personal to me just because of some of my experiences and so i feel that ultimately it is uplifting because we do get to see him make that decision to move on afterwards. And I, I think that's that's kind of an important point that that King is making there is that it's it's a battle to overcome mental illness. It's a battle to deal with PTSD and all kinds of you know childhood trauma and whatever whatever the issues are. But you you have to make a conscious choice to fight that battle. And that's that's very, very difficult to do. So, so him having this breakthrough moment uh, to me is in a way kind of inspiring as I've, you know, spent time in therapy and, and, you know, things like that the last year or so dealing with, I know, I don't know, you know, childhood bullies and, you know, whatever else I, I've dealt with in my past. Um, I feel like I've kind of had a little bit of a transformation as well. So I, I think because of how personal it feels to me and how relatable his experience feels not that I, you know, was raised on the fire pits of apocalypse and I, I didn't drink hot lava for soup or, you know, anything like that, but um, try to avoid that wherever but, possible. Yeah. It's, you know, I've, I've heard it's not good for your uh, digestive tract. So, but what would you rate this then? With so, so that with, with that in mind, and this is, I don't feel that I can be as objective about this because it feels kind of personal to me. So I would give it a five out of five. But that is with the caveat of knowing that it hits me in a specific way just because of who I am. So that may not be a five out of five for any reader that comes into it. But for me personally, you know, that's that's how it strikes me. Well, so, so for anybody who's had similar, you know, personal hardships yeah. um, mm -hmm. that you sort of described on here, I think would be good for them. You know, the story would resonate yeah. with them. And give him at least, you know, the whole story may not be positive, but it, it does end on an uplifting note where, you know, everything does seem uh, like it's going to be okay from here on out. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, and if we if we ever, you know, when we circle back to DC at one point, I would like to discuss uh, Jessica Cruz at some point because she is she's a Green Lantern character that struggles with generalized anxiety disorder. And so uh, that character, actually, a Hispanic woman living in the south of the United States, is one of the more relatable characters to me in DC Comics. <laughs> so, um, so we'll we'll have to we'll have to circle back to that at some point. But for next time, um, we are definitely going to go way lighter. So uh, I think we've decided to look at Mega Man: Let the Games Begin, which is only a four-issue trade, so uh, it should be a pretty quick read. And uh, I'm really excited to get into that. So, 
Yeah, I think it'll be yeah. it'll be fun. Um, it will be a lot different than we've kind of got into. There's definitely mm -hmm. a lot less uh, characters and a lot less kind of just gigantic story to tackle. So it's probably one for a podcast just starting out a <laughs> good fit. So we, we've been a little bit too ambitious with our first couple of uh, attempts here. So we're going to scale it back a little bit for the next yeah. one. But we like to bounce around and kind of just look at different things. And, you know, it's not yeah. necessarily limited to one specific type of comic book or even to books in general. You know, we can look at movies or TV or really anything that we want to review. Well, because it's our podcast, but um, <laughs> because it's about comics in general. So, you know, we can talk about any screen adaptations as well, which I think we're yeah, planning we're, to do. We are going to be uh, doing at least one episode coming up, I know we'll be dealing with a comic book movie that we are kind of amped to talk about. So uh, something from 2003. With that, I think we're probably about ready to wrap up. So again, the links mm -hmm. are anchor.fm slash boneless comics podcast at boneless comics podcast on Instagram and at boneless comics one on Twitter. And I just want to thank everybody so much for listening and uh, send those questions in on Twitter. Yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we're excited to hear what you have to say. But until next time, I'm Joe Getro. And I'm Mike White. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Peace.